welcome. This is the house of the Lord, and you, I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ to this place of peace. I hope it feels like a sanctuary, uh, a refuge. Even if it's uh, just another place in the community, it has a special place because it is where we gather to focus on God and do that together. Before we uh, get into the rest of our service, I've got a few announcements that I'm going to point out. And if you have your bulletin, you'll find some of them there. The ones that are going to be highlighted are the small group sign-up. You may have already signed up to be in a small group in the spring, but if you're not sure that you did, sign up again. Don't worry, you won't be put into two groups. So the sheet is at the back for that. And if you want to be a small group leader, then just put a little asterisk beside your name. So let's unite our hearts in prayer as we enter into worship. Father, thank you for calling us here to yourself. You are our refuge, our sanctuary. And we thank you that you have made the way through the body and blood of your son, Jesus Christ, so that we could enter into this fellowship with you. And thank you for your spirit among us and within us to remind us of those truths as we come to you this morning. Receive our worship. Thank you that it is what you ask of us and that we can do. Amen. Amen. Hymn number 228, Rejoice, the Lord is King.
And now I invite you to read together with us from our psalm for the morning, which is Psalm 31. So all together, let's read the first eight verses of Psalm 31. In you, In you Lord, Lord, I have, I have taken, taken refuge. Let, let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide us. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. As for me, I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love. For you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Now I'll pray our confession prayer, continuing in those words from Psalm 31. Let's pray. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery, for I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. Jesus. 
Our words of affirmation are also from Psalm 31, continuing at verse 14. Let's read it all together. But, but I, I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My, my times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let, Let me not be put to shame, Lord, for I have cried out to you. But, but let the wicked be put to shame and be silenced in the realm of the dead. Let their lying lips be silenced, for with pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous. Song number 405. 405, my faith has found a resting place. And verse 2 will be for the ladies only, verse 3 for the men. From this place of confidence in God, we can bring our requests to him. So let's pray. Father, you know what we need today. We know that uh, you know all things even before we ask. 
and that you do more than we ask or imagine. And so we bring our requests to you for your fatherly touch, for your perfect will to be done. We pray in silence for those whom we know who are sick. We pray for those who are struggling, ourselves, those we love. We pray for those who are grieving their losses, the losses of loved ones and of possibilities. We pray for ourselves, for us as a church, as we get ready for new things this fall. We thank you for the good plans that are being made. We pray your blessing on all those who are taking initiative. We also pray for our leaders. Any of us who have been in any level of leadership can appreciate the challenges. And so we pray for those in our municipality in our province, in our nation, and throughout the world for wisdom, for choices to be made for the good of all, the common good rather than just political or personal good and gain. We pray that you would work through those who are in leadership to reward the good and to punish evil. And we pray for those who are struggling under oppressive regimes or difficult situations, those who are in the middle of some kind of war or famine or terrible weather or some other big thing that is way beyond the individuals. Grant them your grace, your peace, your strength. And for each of us in our situations, Wherever we can speak the truth in love, show us how to do that. We love you, Lord. Amen. Our theme scripture this morning is from Exodus chapter 20. I am the Lord, Lord your, your God, God, who brought, brought you out, out of Egypt, Egypt out, out of, of the, the land of slavery. You, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor.
This morning we have a special guest, Rod Brown, all the way from St. Pierre, Manitoba. And uh, we know him as Betty's son, but of course he's got a deeper identity as a child of God. And he is here to speak to us from the Word of God, so welcome Rod, and be blessed. Well, it's a privilege to be here. And I owe you, as a whole bunch of brothers and sisters in Christ, I owe you a huge thank you. It is much because of your involvement in my mom's life that I can kind of sit two hours away and be comfortable, but that my mom is okay. She has an excellent group of people here that surround her, and, uh, and for me, that's a huge comfort. And... Uh, I just, I owe you as a congregation, as her brothers and sisters in Christ, I owe you a huge debt of gratitude, and uh, I just want to start by saying thank you to you. This picture might look like kind of a strange picture, but I think when you and I look around the world at what is happening today, and we look at kind of what is happening in the big picture, we often find ourselves in this kind of a situation where we look at us, look around us, and we kind of wonder, what is going on? How did we ever get to this place where literally we look around us and, we, and it seems that truth has actually become an option in our life? Have you seen that? Kind of witnessed that? And I think we kind of sometimes wonder, how in the world did we ever get to this place? How is truth an option? And yet, we look around our province, and we look around our country, and we look around the world, and it really seems that truth is an option. Sometimes it seems that, that we look around, and, and people's opinions and their agenda, they, we, we maybe don't agree with them, and so they pull out this snippet of truth and they lambast us with the truth and, and they want us to know that the truth kind of fits their agenda. And if you want to be on the right side, if you want to be in the truth, you've got to follow our agenda. But then sometimes people have an agenda and you introduce truth to their agenda and they kind of take that truth and they just make it disappear and they wipe it away and you're actually deemed as a bad guy because you presented the truth and you are just, you're not really with it. 
because you are holding on to truth. And truth isn't really all that important. What's important is that you understand my agenda and that you're on side with my agenda, not that I'm necessarily telling you the truth. Can you see that in our world? I see that every day, and I see that all around me, and I constantly find myself in a place where I'm kind of scratching my head and wondering what is going on and how did we get here? The passage that, that we're looking at, you've, you've been going through a series dealing with, with the, the Ten Commandments and, and looking kind of at the positive side of the Ten Commandments. How do we make those things work in, in our life and in our culture and in our world? And when Russell told me that, that today would actually be this commandment, thou shalt not lie, that's actually not exactly what it says, but, but we're dealing with truth this morning. I was pretty excited about that because I've been doing a lot of study in, in the last few months dealing with our, with our culture and with this whole thing of where we find ourselves. And so it fit very much into the place where, where I am and I was excited to come and talk about it. The verse doesn't necessarily say, thou shalt not lie, although that's maybe what, how we think about it. The verse says, you must not testify falsely against your neighbor which is kind of dealing with lying, but it's actually a, a much larger picture than just lying. You see, um, we, we think of that commandment in the terms of lying, but it refers to issues that are way broader than just telling a lie. If you go to, to uh, Exodus chapter 23, in verse 1 to 3, it kind of fleshes it out a little bit more and, and explains a little bit more what the commandment is about. It says in Exodus chapter 23, you must not pass along false rumors. That, that's kind of pretty relevant. You must not cooperate with evil people by lying on the witness stand. You must, not, you must not follow the crowd in doing wrong. And when you are called on to testify in a dispute, do not be swayed by the crowd to twist justice. And do not slant your testimony, your testimony, <laughs> Getting my, my words mixed up. Do not slant your testimony in favor of a person just because he is poor. It talks about deception. There's kind of two sides to this. The, the, the law, the commandment, was part of it was referring to kind of an official place where, where you're dealing officially with people. And it says, don't, don't take and twist the truth. But it's also talking about each and every day in daily life. And it's saying, don't twist the truth. It's talking about deception. And then you and I live in a world where deception seems to be all around us all the time. It's an issue of, of deception all around us. And, and many of us, we're actually, we're actually kind of good at deception. I, I grew up as a young man who, I was actually kind of too scared to lie. Because if I lied, I might get caught, and, and that never went well. And uh, someday, if you're really interested, I'll tell you some secrets about my mom. But uh, mom, mom taught me well. And alongside of my dad, I was too scared to get caught lying. And so I wouldn't outright lie, but I was an expert at deception. You see, I could tell you the truth and give you enough parts of the truth 
that I could have you come to the conclusion that I needed you to come to in order to fit my agenda. And I never lied to you, but I just kind of left out parts of the truth that, that didn't really fit my agenda. And so I didn't lie, and you came to the conclusion that I wanted you to come to, but actually I deceived you, which really is the same thing. And when we look around our world, we, we see that kind of a thing happening all the time. My brother Ken, some of you have met my brother Ken, he's worked for the Royal Bank his whole career. He's retired now, just recently. But he, I asked him one time, the, the news was saying that the Royal Bank had lost un, this, this huge amount of numbers of money in the last quarter. They had lost something like $430 million or whatever the number was, it was huge. And I asked him, how is that possible? Like, you look at what's happening in the banking world, how can they lose that much money? And he kind of chuckled at me and he said, Rod, one of the things you need to learn is that you never ever believe statistics. He said, here's what's happening. The Royal Bank makes their projections and they come to the conclusion that over the next quarter, we're going to make, we're going to make, just for the sake of a number, we're going to make $500 million this quarter. That's what we're going to make. But when they get to the end of the quarter, they found out when they do all their books and they, they work all the figures that they actually only made $450 million. But what they tell you is that they lost $50 million. You see how it gets twisted? They, they anticipated making $500 million, but they only made $450 million, so they tell you, we, we lost $50 million. It's been a terrible quarter. And they take the truth, and they give you the parts of the truth that work for their agenda, and we are deceived. And it works all the time, all around us. And they don't really lie to you, but they don't really tell you the truth. Our world has become expert at that. And that's kind of what this verse is referring to when it says, you, you shall not provide a false witness. It's talking about deception in our world. And just to be clear, the Bible is actually pretty clear about lying. It, it, you don't have to search very far and very long. I'll just give you a couple of verses just to make my point clear so that you know that I'm not lying to you. It says in Leviticus chapter 19, it says, I'm the Lord your God. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. It's actually pretty clear, black and white. The New Testament is kind of the same way. It's, it's really clear about what God thinks about lying. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the religious leaders of his day, and they're arguing about origins. They, you see, Jesus was, was born in this birth, and they all knew that. Jesus is, is working in the context of people that he grew up with. And the story is, if you go back, Jesus, his, his mom was pregnant before she was married. And so in this context, in John chapter 8, it gets thrown at Jesus. We know who our father is. Who's your father? They say, We're, our father is Abraham. And so we are righteous, we are good, we are pure. Who's your father? There's all kinds of rumors that were going around. What happened? Who's your father? 
And Jesus responds to them, and he says, and it kind of relates God's view of a liar. He says, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and he's the father of lies. That kind of tells you what God thinks about lying. It's pretty clear. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 says, Do not lie to each other, for you have stripped off the old sinful nature with all of its wicked deeds. So lying, in God's mind, belongs to our old nature, and it's absolutely wicked. It's pretty clear. And you can do all kinds of study and come up with all kinds of other verses and all kinds of places where that's what it says. But we don't have to do a whole lot of work to come to the conclusion that lying is wrong. And God hates it. But the confusing thing is how did we come to the place in our culture where lying is actually embraced by so many And truth has actually come to a point where it's kind of irrelevant, where it's only used if it fits my agenda, but somehow truth has been placed in this place where it's an option. How do we live out truth and how do we live out a life where we don't lie as a Christian, as a son and a daughter of God? How do we live that out in a a world where truth seems to be an option? And what's happened to truth in our culture? I want to give you a little bit of a, a run down, down the last couple of hundred years, and I'm going to do it really fast, so put your seatbelt on, and we're going to talk about what has happened in our culture. Oxford Dictionary, the Oxford Dictionary every year updates their list of words because our, our language and, and words are constantly changing and evolving, and as things happen, language Language always evolves, it always changes, it always develops. That's why you can go and speak in a French little community like St. Pierre, where I live, and you can speak French, and then you go to Quebec, and the French that they speak in Quebec and in St. Pierre is very different. It's similar, you can understand it, but it, it's different. And then if you go to France and you speak French, it is, it's very different again. And there's, it's easy to get into an argument who, over who has real French, but as you, as you go into an area and things develop, language evolves and it changes. And so Oxford Dictionary is constantly adding words to their dictionary as they develop and as things happen. And one of the words they've recently added to their dictionary is the word truthiness. I don't know if you've heard this, but it's actually a concept. It's actually a new word, truthiness. I can make a statement that has a lot of truthiness to it. It sounds pretty right. It's, it sounds good. And it may not actually be true. It may not actually be exactly following the facts. But it has a lot of truthiness to it. And so we'll, we'll accept it. I think the other word for that is politics. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Sorry about that. But... In, 2000, in the year 2016, Oxford, the, the people who run the Oxford Dictionary, they, they put out a word every, every year that captures kind of, it's, they call it the word of the year. 
that captures the essence of what's been happening in the world in that particular year. And they put out this word that kind of captures that. And in 2016, the word of the year, they, they put out the word post-truth, describing what was going on in our, in our world. It, we live now in a culture that they call post-truth. And they said that the word post-truth is not only, like, like we think of like post truth or we think about post trauma means after the trauma or we think of um, like it means after something but they say the the word actually post has changed too where post doesn't just mean simply after but it also refers to a time in which the specified like the concept that they're talking about has actually become unimportant or irrelevant and so post truth doesn't mean just necessarily after the truth but it's referring to a time when, when truth has actually become unimportant or irrelevant. That's where we live. And that was the word of the year in, in 2016. And what has happened in our culture and in our economy, and not our economy, but in our, in our Western culture especially, is that we've been, we've been developing along this, this slide that truth has been involved in. If you go back... To, to the 1700s and before that, in the early part of the 1800s, the, our Western world basically functioned in a place where, where, where the, the basic understanding of how life worked was a biblical concept. Not everybody lived out the Bible on their everyday life, and not everybody lived out, you know, ex- exactly you would look at their life and say, wow, that person's a Christian. But the basic understanding about how life functioned came from this book. We understood that there was a God, that he created the world, that like all the things that this book says, that was our basic understanding about how life worked. But then as you got into, into the 1800s and, and you got some of the people who were starting to really challenge that thinking and you got, you got a hold of people like Darwin who produced his origin of the species and developed the whole concept of evolution, we, we started challenging that thought that this is actually the guidebook for how life functions, and they started challenging the concept of truth. And it came to the point where they, they, they posed a, the word of the year, was called postmodernism in the early 1800s, and that postmodernism, they basically came to the point where they said there actually is no such thing as an absolute truth. And Darwin was kind of the, one of the leaders of that as he developed his concept of evolution. He said, we, didn't, we don't have a God who developed everything and created everything in seven days or in six days. We, we don't have that. There is no absolute truth. Truth is not an issue. There is no absolutes that, that run this world. It all happened by chance. Well, that statement, there is no truth, the problem with that philosophy is that when you make a statement like that, there is no truth, if you ask the question, is that statement true? Well, the argument kind of falls apart pretty quickly because if that statement is true, well, then there is truth and your argument just fell apart. And if there is no such thing as truth, then why are you even making that statement? Like, why are we talking about this? And so that concept began to fall apart as it was rationally challenged. And we, we started developing into this place where we live now in our culture, in our Western culture, that they call post-truth, where truth itself, people admit that, yeah, there's truth, but truth really isn't all that important. It's kind of irrelevant. And it's only used if it fits my agenda, 
But truth is not really a part of how we live. We live in this culture that is called post-truth. And so now what happens is that that has developed into this place where we live in the middle of a world that is run by political correctness. You see, if there's no such thing as truth, then you don't have any right to tell me how to live my life. You don't have any right to decide what is important and what isn't important. You can't tell me that this is right and that's wrong. Well, it might be right for you, but it's not right for me. Because we live in a place where truth is irrelevant. And so you can have your version of the truth, and I'll have my version of the truth, and we'll just, we just have to learn to figure it out. But don't tell me that I'm wrong, because you don't have the right to say that. And we see all around us in our world the political correctness that gets really, really tired. It gets hard to, to function with. And what happens now in our post-truth culture is that when, when there's a conflict of opinions or agendas or, or values, it's not truth that decides who is right or who is going to get their way because truth is irrelevant. Truth is down here somewhere, and what's important is my opinions and my preferences and my feelings. That's what's important. And when your feelings and your preferences and your opinions clash with mine, then the person who wins is the person who has the most power. And that power might come in the form of influence. It might come in the, por- in the form of, of position. It might come in the form of power. It might come in the form of money. But whoever is the most powerful actually wins. And the person who doesn't win actually ends up being enslaved to the person who does win. It sounds pretty good on the surface, but it ends up with people who are enslaved because they don't have the power. And you can, you can kind of sift your way through our culture and you see that happening on an everyday basis. And our world is changing. Our world is changing right before our eyes. It used to be that, that when we lived in Canada, we could say that we were a sovereign nation. And Canadians were known all across the world as a special group of people. We had our identity in the world, and we could go anywhere in the world, and we were welcomed because of who Canadians were. But what is happening in our our world is that power is changing not from being so much on a national basis as it's happening on a global basis. And so our leaders of our nations are being challenged to function according to global powers, and it's all changing. I'll give you an example of that. And this will maybe, maybe twist your thinking a little bit, but we, we've just seen the world, the global powers, pulling out of Afghanistan. The media tends to make a whole big deal of the states are pulling out of Afghanistan, but there's a whole team of countries. Canada's involved in that. The United States is involved in that. France is there. Um, England is there. There's a whole bunch of countries that made up this team that was in Afghanistan But what happens if you were living in Afghanistan and all of a sudden your government decided that it was okay to let these foreign people come in and occupy your land? You see, global powers have come in and there's a difference of opinion if you live in Afghanistan. Whose country is this? (laughs) It's the same question we're asking. 
Whose country is this? How come, how come these global powers are determining what is happening in Canada? It's not actually all that different than what is happening here. We, we actually can relate to what is happening in Afghanistan. They believe different than they, like it's a different country, but we can relate to that. And in, in our global mindset, it's actually okay for us to go in and invade Afghanistan because things are happening there that aren't right. And our opinion is that we need to go in there and clean that up. And if they differ from us, the people that have the most power win. Turns out that we are not as powerful as we thought we were. <laughs> but that happens all around us on a global basis. Truth is being more and more kind of pushed down to a place where it's irrelevant. And we, as the people who hold on to the truth of this book, we hold on to it onto the truth that says, Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not deceive your brother or your sister. You will live a life of integrity and honesty and uprightness. That's what God calls us to. And so the question that I ask is, how do we live as Christians, as people of that book, as child, uh, children of the king, how do we live that out in a world that doesn't value truth anymore? How do we live out truth in a world that says truth is actually irrelevant. I'm going to pull the preacher thing, and I'm going to give you three things. <laughs> I, I was working through this, and I came to a point, I've, I've got three things. I just became a stereotypical preacher. Three points, and your life will be all better. But that's what I got, is three points. My apologies. But here's... Some of the things that I believe that we need to hold on to and we need to incorporate in our life if we are to live out the truth in the context of this post-truth culture that we live in. Here's what it is. The number one thing, the first thing that I came that I that I worked through is that if we want to live out the truth, we actually have to immerse ourselves in the truth. How do you tell truth from error? There's Charles Colson. Some of you, have, you've probably heard of him. He was involved in the, in the government in the States and ended up in jail because of his activities. But he made a statement one time. He was talking about people who work dealing with, with financial fraud and dealing with uh, counterfeit money. And he said, you know how counterfeit, like people who are dealing with counterfeit money, you know how they discover and how they figure out what, or what money is actually counterfeit and what is real? They don't study counterfeit money. They study the real thing. They study every aspect of a true $10 bill and $20 bill and $50 bill. They study it and study it and study it until they are so familiar with the real thing that when the counterfeit shows up, it's, it's obvious right away it's counterfeit. It's not the real thing. And if you and I want to function in a world that doesn't value truth but has a lot of truthiness to it, we need to know the truth so well that when things that are just kind of truthy but not really true, 
are exposed right away because we know the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. How well do we know Jesus? Are we talking to him every day? Is he talking to us? Are we listening? Are we hearing him? It is possible. He does speak to us. The Holy Spirit is living and active. And he's involved in every single day. And he's longing to pour himself out to us and speak to us. Are we listening? Jesus is the truth. And this word is the word of his his word. And this is the truth. How much time do we spend studying the word? How much time do we spend in this word so that when something comes along that's truthy, but it's not true, we recognize it because we know the truth. If you and I want to live and survive and function in a world that is post-truth, we have to know the truth. I'm pretty confident, as from, from what I know of you as a church, that you are a church who holds on to the truth. You're a church that preaches and teaches the truth. And if you're maybe not from this church, or you're from somewhere else, I don't know all of you, so I don't know if this is your home church or not, but if you don't go to a church that is teaching the truth, you, you need to get out of your seat and do something. Either go to a different church or talk to your leadership, but you need to make sure that your church is functioning, teaching the truth. Because we can't make it if we're not in a place that truth is being taught and upheld. And today that's more important than ever before. Where there's lots of churches around who teach a lot of truthiness, but it's not necessarily true. We need to immerse ourselves in the truth if we want to make it in this world. Because whether or not we agree with the truth, whether or not we actually know the truth, we might be ignorant of the truth, but the truth is the truth, whether our world wants to know it or not. And there's, there's big ramifications for ignoring the truth. If I jump off the stage, the truth is that gravity is going to carry me down to the bottom. If I don't believe in gravity, you know what happens if I jump off the stage? I still hit the bottom, whether I believe it or not. And truth is like that, where there's consequences to ignoring the truth. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 that he talked about sowing and reaping. And we're an agricultural community. We, we understand that. We know that when I put wheat in the ground, in the fall I'm going to go and harvest wheat because I planted wheat. And so I'm not going to grow rye. Canola is not going to come up. It's not going to be barley. It's going to be wheat because that's what I planted. We know that. But if we don't understand that and we begin planting and sowing all kinds of things in our life and we ignore the truth, we are going to reap what we sow regardless of whether it's positive or not. That is one of the laws of our land. That's one of the laws that governs this creation, is that you will reap what you sow. And so it's important to know the truth and to align ourselves with truth and to be planting and sowing seeds that reap truth. I tried to teach my kids all the time that you can actually make tomorrow a better place before you even get there by making wise choices today. 
And wise choices today will have good consequences tomorrow. So before you even get out of bed in the morning, tomorrow's a better day because you planted a whole bunch of good stuff today and it has good consequences tomorrow. Or on the opposite, you can turn tomorrow into hell itself because you made a lot of stupid choices today and tomorrow you will actually reap the consequences of that. And so tomorrow is a terrible day before you even get out of bed because you've got to face the consequences of what you chose today. And that's the way the truth works. Truth will carry its consequences and lies will carry its consequences regardless of whether we believe it or not. And so we need to immerse ourselves in the truth and make sure that what I'm living and choosing on a daily basis is truth. Second thing we got to know, that if we want to live out the truth, we got to understand the agenda that's happening. There is an agenda that is happening in our world, that is happening all around us. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, it says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. They won't put up with truth. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, and they will turn aside to myths. Myths sound really good. they got a lot of truthiness. But they're not right. And we're living in an age and in a place where there is an agenda that has nothing to do with truth. It actually comes from a place that is called hell. Jesus said that he's going to come back one day. That's the truth. But there is somebody in this creation who is trying to stifle that and does not want to see that happening. And there is the spirit of the Antichrist who is actually alive and well in this world that is functioning and there's an agenda. As you read through and you study Revelation, we understand that, that this world is moving towards a one world government. This book tells us that. We're not there yet. The rapture hasn't happened. The church is still in the world. The Holy Spirit is still here. But we know that when the church is, is removed from this world and the influence of the Holy Spirit is taken out, that the, the world is going to move into this place where there is a one world government happening. And you know what? We won't wake up one morning and all of a sudden say, wow, how did that happen? We are being conditioned and prepared for a one world government. That spirit of Antichrist, although the Antichrist himself is not here yet, the spirit of Antichrist is moving. And our world is being prepared and conditioned for a one world government. And we need to understand that. So it's not surprising when we see all these global powers taking over, because the Bible said that would happen. It's being prepared. It's moving in that direction. And we need to understand the agenda and not be fooled by it. And we need to connect with the body. If you and I are going to survive in this culture of, of post-truth, we need to be connected vitally to the body of Christ. This is the only place in the world that holds on to truth. It's the church. I want you to take a look around you. Look at the person to your left and look at the person to your right. Look at the person behind you and in front of you. You know what? God's plan for the world is you. 
That's his plan. He created a body called the church. And in the context of that body, he is preparing people to move out into our culture with truth. It says in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming, in their truthiness. <laughs> Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of Jesus, who is the head. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, that's you, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You cannot be safe in this world if you are not connected and vitally a part of the body of Christ. You and I all know people who have kind of slowly sifted away from the church. And where do they end up? Their faith is shipwrecked. You can't leave the church and be a solid, mature Christian. It doesn't happen. If you and I want to function in this post-truth culture, you need to be vitally connected to the church. And I say that with all of my heart. I am absolutely convinced that the only way you can grow and thrive and function as a Christian, whether you are 80 or 18 or 8, is to be involved in the body of Christ and be connected to people who love God and who love the truth. That's the only hope we have. And that's the only hope that the world has. So I want to conclude. And I think I'm over time. But I want to conclude with somewhere I wrote this down. We read Psalm chapter 3, or Psalm chapter 31. And listen to what it says. We read that in the, in the beginning of the service. The third, Psalm chapter 31, verse 4 and 5. It says, You will pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. That's what's happening in our world. There's an agenda that's happening. And God will pull us out of the net that they have secretly laid for us. For you, God, are our strength. Into your hand we commit our spirit. For you have ransomed us, O Lord, God of truth. Father, that's our confession this morning. And that's the cry of my heart. And that's our plea that you would pull us out of the net they have already laid for us. Because you are our strength. You are our wisdom. You are the one who knows the truth. You are the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Father, we confess that this morning and we proclaim that into all the seen and the unseen world that you are the truth. And we hold on to you this morning because it's into your hand that we commit our spirit for you have ransomed us, God, because you are the God of truth. And you are the one who will hold us and carry us through this. You are the one, Father, who is able to do all the things that we can't. 
And so to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory and majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for the truth that you brought us, Rod. We're going to sing about it in song number 450, 450, Lord Speak to Me. And uh, this is a song that, that is a prayer about our truthfulness in the world, not our truthiness, but our truthfulness in the world and the way that we can uh, speak for God and with God the truth. And I just want to point out one word in verse 3. Those of you who are opening your books will see it. Those of you watching on the screen will see it eventually. Um, it's a fire image, a fire image where it, there's kindling, a enkindling thought and glowing word. So that should warm you up. Anyway, it's not kindling word, it's kindling. At least that's my version of the truth. Let's <laughs> sing it. Lord, speak to me. serve the Lord. <laughs> 